Today, we're going to continue our series talking about what it means to be a bridge builder. Remember, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how important it is in this day, in this time, that we as the people of God are bridge builders in a world that is so divided. You got a lot of folk over here, and you got a lot of folk over here. You got a lot of folk who believe this stuff, and a lot of stuff who are feeling over here. Our job as the people of God is to build bridges, to connect people, to bring those far away close to each other, Because when we can come together, and especially when we can come together under the peace and the presence and the power of God, there is a unity and a blessing that changes this world. The Apostle Paul says, and I remind you of this, that we are all priests We are all representatives of Jesus. We all have an important task to play in this bridge-building role. The word priest, as Paul talks about it, literally means bridge-builders. The church is made up of people who don't divide who don't separate, who certainly don't segregate, but people who bring together. For so long, the church has some serious confession to make that it hasn't done that. We need to admit that we have caused so much harm by separating and dividing. We've been part of the problem as we claim to follow the one who is the solution. So we're bridge builders. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about two key elements of what it means to be a bridge builder. We've talked about humility. You're not going to bring people together if you've got too much pride in your life. Last week, we talked about lament. The heavy topic of lament that we need to be people who grieve that we've played our part in separation and segregation. Today, I want to talk about a third thing that we must do, a third uh, kind of people we must become if we want to move from lament to bridge building. And that's to take the things that we lament about and confess them. Confess them before God. Confess them before one another. As a society, in so many places, this word confession has almost become a dirty word. Because to confess something is to admit that we've done something wrong, and that's not something we like to do. But if we're going to bring people together, if we're going to build bridges, then a part of our bridge-building ability rests in our ability to understand that we got some stuff to deal with. 
If you have your Bible with you, turn to Daniel chapter 9. There are plenty of scriptures that talk about personal confession and the importance of that. But here in Daniel chapter 9, the confession that Daniel is offering is not just one for himself, it's one for his people. It's one for the nation. And the reason that he needed to do that was because that the nation had strayed so far from God that the only way back to God, the only way to build that bridge between the people and God was through the difficult journey of confession. So Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. The first few verses highlight that there's a problem for Daniel and his people. There's a new king in town. His name is Darius. He was a Chaldean. And what had happened here was that Darius's army had just conquered Babylon. And Babylon was where Daniel's people were staying. They'd been exiled there. They'd run away to there. And now the place that they were forced to live in had been conquered and captured, and it wasn't looking good for them. Now, the prophets of old, specifically Jeremiah and Isaiah, had prophesied that this day was coming, that the people couldn't run away from their problems indefinitely, that there was going to be a time when their problems were going to catch up with them, and that time was now. And so Daniel's looking around. And as the leader is saying, how do we get out of here? How do we move forward from here? Our sins are catching up with us. We've got nowhere else to run. What are we going to do? And his answer was that the first thing they needed to do was to confess their sins to God. For so long, like many of us, They had run from their sins. They had pretended their sins weren't that bad. They thought that if they could avoid the consequence from them, they'd be okay. But the consequences were catching up with them, and they were in a mess. The first thing Daniel does is he turns back to the Scriptures. He looks specifically at the words that Jeremiah wrote probably in Jeremiah 25. And I would encourage you, as you look at some of the messes in our world, as we move to a place of confession, to start by looking in God's Word and seeing what God's Word says about where we are. And as you turn through the pages of this book, you will see that this book diagnoses pretty well where we are right now. So Daniel, verse 2, dives into the word of the Lord. 
This book that people have tried to outlaw and burn and throw away and ignore and discredit. But this book that thousands of years later is still standing strong, speaking truth. Daniel turns to this book and he reads it and he learns from it. And he applies it, and because he applies it, he becomes a person of prayer. The Word takes him to prayer. As we diagnose our problems based on the Word of God, that Word of God takes us to prayer. And so he prays, verse 3, I turn my attention to the Lord God to seek Him, by prayer and petition, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. These are all different forms of prayer. He says, I'm reading the word and the word tells me to pray because God is our only hope. And so in whatever way I can, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to draw close to God. Because if he doesn't show up, we're not going to get out of this mess that we're in. And they're in a mess. They are divided. And they are broken. And they are struggling. And they are suffering. And so he says, we have got to confess. His prayer and his confession is so brilliant that not only is it a prayer of confession, but in this prayer of confession, it teaches us how to confess as well. Daniel realized, like we do, that we have a problem with separation, with segregation, with brokenness. And so he goes to the Word, and the Word says, hey, you guys have got to be bridge builders in this. And he says, I don't know how to do that, so I'm going to pray. And God teaches him how to confess. Why do we confess? First of all, verses 4 to 6, we must confess because we've seriously messed up. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Why? Because we've seriously messed up. And, and so he prays this prayer, verses 4 to 6. I, I once went, this was way back in, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when email was becoming a thing. And I went to this uh, class that had this little section, really weird, on email etiquette. And especially talking about how to share bad news through an email. And they taught us how to do this kind of uh, affirmation sandwich, right? Where the top slice of bread was something nice and the bottom slice of bread was something nice. But the meat in the middle was where you delivered your bad news. Where you got to the meat of the issue. And in these verses 4 to 6, it's almost like Daniel is doing the same thing. He starts off by confessing, but the first thing that he confesses is some good news. It's an affirmation. It's actually an act of worship. Lord, 
And he's talking here about Yahweh, which is very important because as he's talking about Yahweh, he's talking about the softer, gentler, covenant-keeping side of God. He says, you are great and awe-inspiring. You are gracious in keeping your covenant with those who love you. And you keep your commands even though we have sinned. He's not buttering God up. He's not manipulating God. He's just reminding himself of who God is, and he's reminding God of the promises that God had made, that God would not forsake his people, and that if the people of God confessed and asked for forgiveness, then God would forgive them and would heal their land. So he starts off by reminding God who God is and what God has said. He says, you keep your command, and then it transitions, but we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants and prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. He's saying, we messed up. And not, we've messed up in some general way. He's been very specific about how they've messed up. You know, I mess up a lot. And those closest to me get a front row seat of those mess ups a lot. And so I find myself needing to apologize a lot. Now, sometimes my apologies can be real and sincere. But sometimes I confess, because we're talking about confession. My apologies are kind of empty and hollow. You've all done it, right? We've all done it. Oh, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. That's not really an apology. Daniel here is so specific. We sinned. We did wrong. We acted wickedly. We rebelled. We turned away. We did not listen. He says, we're in a mess, and we got to get serious, and we got to get real. Because if we don't get real and we don't get serious... Not only are we going to perpetuate the division, but that division is going to separate us and kill us forever. Daniel says we must confess. We acknowledge who God is, and we celebrate that God is, is faithful in forgiving us, but we have to own our stuff. It's interesting here that the pronouns Daniel uses as he prays are not the pronouns of I, me, and my. He's saying we. We may stop. And that's a big we because that's not just the we of his generation. That's the we of many generations back who violated the command. 
been reading a lot about our racial heritage over the last couple of months. There's been doing that and sharing some of my findings, one common argument among people who look like me is that, well, I didn't have slaves. I'm not racist. It's not my problem. And we want to blame the past and the people of the past. But here's what Daniel is saying. Unless someone takes responsibility for the we, for the past, then we are not going to be forgiven for our past because we can't confess our past. What he's saying here is we've got a national problem and we need to stand in the gap and take responsibility for stuff that maybe doesn't belong to us, but that belonged to people like us. He's using we, not I, because if we want to solve the we, we need to take responsibility for the we. He says, we've messed up. We're in a tough place. And so we confess. We're specific in that. We own that. He continues, verse 7. First of all, he says we confess because we've seriously messed up. Secondly, he confesses because shame is real and costly. Again, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us. Righteousness belongs to you, but shame belongs to us. You're perfect, you're good, you're right, you're holy, but we're not. Daniel could have blamed numerous forces, numerous generations. If he'd have wanted, he could have come up with a list of excuses as long as his arm, but he doesn't. He says, you are, we're not, and we are shamed because of this. Shame belongs to us. Shame is a horrible, horrible thing to live under. Shame suffocates us. It limits us. And like Daniel's people, so often when we are shamed, shame is such an ugly thing that we choose to run from it. We try to hide it. We try to develop concepts in our mind around it to try and justify us. But Daniel says here, very clearly in verse 8, Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings and our leaders and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. He could have built some shame management platform, as many of us do, that makes us look good, that helps us pretend everything is all right. 
But he chooses not to do that. He chooses not to put his people in further bondage. He says, I'm going to deal with the shame. The only way that shame can be dealt with. I'm going to confess and ask for forgiveness. Shame comes from sin. And sin can be dealt with by confession and forgiveness. Yet so often, when it comes to issues of shame, because we don't want to admit that shame comes from sin, we hide our shame and we run from our shame and we try to make it pretty. But it's not and we can't. And our shame is real, and so we need to turn from shame that is caused by sin and seek forgiveness. Does that make sense? If we're going to confess, not only do we need to know that we have seriously messed up, but we need to understand that shame suffocates us and traps us, but we don't need to live in shame. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that Jesus won on the cross, is all about us being free. Free from the shame that comes with sin. Daniel says, I got a problem. We confess because we've seriously messed up. We confess because, because shame is costly. Thirdly, we confess because we really don't want what we deserve. We really don't want what we deserve. This is what he says in verse 11. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. He knew that something good was not happening. He knew that because of their perpetual sinful behavior, that sin was catching up with them. That curse was coming. The consequences were there. And he looks around and he looks at what that looks like, what he deserves. And he says, oh my goodness, I do not want what I deserve. Friends, we're all in the same boat. We do not want what our sin deserves. We, we cannot live, and we cannot live eternally separated from God. We do not want what we deserve. It says in verse 12, something that maybe you've heard before recently. It says, nothing has ever been done this bad to Jerusalem. I'm sure every generation thinks that this is as bad as it's been, but as he realizes that, he realizes he doesn't want what he deserves. So Lord God, because I don't want what I deserve, I'm going to turn from my iniquity and I'm going to pay attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us for the Lord. Our God is righteous in all he has done, even though we have not obeyed him. 
You hear what he's saying here? He's looking at where things are going and he's saying, oh my goodness, I don't want that. I think it's really important for us as the people of God, as the church of God, in our moment where it feels it's as worse as it's ever been, to see the division, to see the brokenness, to see the separation on whatever level you choose to see it, it's there, and say, we don't want this. If this separation plays out much further, we're in all kinds of trouble. He says, God, don't give us what we deserve. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to change. I'm going to confess. And I'm going to repent. Why? Finally, because repentance and confession is our only hope. Jump down to verse 17. He says, now, God... He's saying now, in this moment, something's got to change and something's going to change and that change is going to start with me. He's saying, if not now, when? If not me, who? Now is the moment for things to change. Now, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. That's a powerful praise, and that's a, a phrase, and that's a powerful prayer. Make your face shine on this desolate sanctuary. Not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the division and the desolation of the city of the people that bear your name. We're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Get this, when we realize how messed up we are, when we realize that our shame is real and costly, when we realize that we don't want what we deserve, as we go to God in prayer, we go to a compassionate Father. And He says, Lord, here, Lord, forgive. Lord, listen. And Lord, act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name and they need you. And Lord, we need you. We're living in a divided, broken world. If the division continues... If the separation gets stronger, if the brokenness gets more severe, I don't know how a civilized society continues to be civilized. And so I believe the time is now for the church, for us individually. And for our nation to 
repent. To confess that we've messed up. To confess that our shame is separating us. To confess that we really don't need what we deserve. We don't want it. But to know that as we confess to a compassionate God, He heals and restores and builds. And that's what we want.